Welcome to episode 46 of the GT on 5G. We cover the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. It's uh, six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is my fellow analyst, Angel Sag. I will just uh, preface the conversation, and I am suffering from allergies, so my apologies for the voice quality, but we'll push through this. So the first topic I want to cover this week is um, several announcements made by T-Mobile around 5G. And you can, can kind of group them into three particular categories. One, um, offering unlimited 5G plans um, that are priced at or better than limited postpaid plans from their competitors, Verizon and AT&T. Um, second is they officially announced their 5G fixed wireless access home service. What I find interesting and compelling about that is that um, out of the gate, they'll be able to cover 30 million subscribers, but over 10 million subscribers in rural America. And if you recall, one of the requirements and the combination of Sprint and T-Mobile was a focus on rural. So I think that's pretty compelling. And then what's also compelling is a third element, something that they're calling hometown experts. And they recognize that they can't have a physical footprint from a retail perspective in all of rural America, just based on you know subscriber density and that sort of thing. So what they're planning to do is train, and they're saying they're gonna create about 5,000 new jobs. They're gonna train experts um, that you know, can um, be available to people in these outlying areas that don't have access to a re retail location to help them with the onboarding process. And certainly um, a lot of what you can do with, um, with smartphones and even with the fixed wireless access service is self-provision. You can order it, it gets drop shipped to you directly and you can, you can enable that. But having these you know, folks local, um, I think it's, it's really innovative and it's a game changer. And it's also gonna create jobs, which was another um, you know, sort of aspect of, uh, of, of why T-Mobile believed the combination of Sprint and um, the company was a positive thing. So any, any insights, Anshul, from uh, your perspective? Yeah, I, I wanted to add that the home wireless service is going to be un, uncapped, which is a big deal because yeah, a lot of point. operators are capping broadband connections that are wired. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, they're going to be giving away free 5G phones uh, with the uh, Samsung A32 5G. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big deal as well because it, it, it basically lowers the entry level of uh, 5G to near zero. Right. Um, except for the monthly cost of a plan. And uh, also they, they launched a rural uh, tech makeover contest mm -hmm. for small towns to win, I think it was something like $5 million worth of tech upgrades for the city to yeah. help different towns um, potentially um, upgrade their infrastructure beyond mm -hmm. what T-Mobile is doing for a bunch of different rural areas. So, yeah, I think overall, this is really good stuff, but I just want to kind of add a little bit more color to yeah. the other announcements and also say that, like, I think T-Mobile is, is being very good at marketing what they're doing. Um, and I think Verizon and AT&T should do a better job of uh, showing what they're doing for rural markets if mm -hmm. they are doing something similar, um, mm -hmm. because I think uh, we as a country need to acknowledge the digital divide that hap that exists between rural and, and urban areas. Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you mentioned those additional elements. Um, in, in addition to the contest, there's also a grant program. So, um, you know, small towns will be able to submit 
their plans for improving infrastructure, whether it's a local movie theater or a baseball, you know, park or something like that. So in addition to that contest that you mentioned, um, there's also a, 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 you know, you know, a number of dollars that are going to be set aside for a grant program as well. So, uh, you know, it's super compelling and they're really putting their money where their mouth is with respect to um, really focusing on, on rural America. And it's, it's a passion area for me, actually, it's going to be part of uh, my book that I'm writing, The Human Network, um, where I look at underserved areas around the world. And in one of the, the, the vignettes that I'm going to focus on is rural America. And so more to come there, but let's move to your first topic this week. And there was news from the GSMA that they um, have worked with the Spanish government around uh, lifting travel restrictions for folks that are big that will physically come to Mobile World Congress. So why don't you take us through that? Yeah, so for the longest time, GSMA has been trying to push a June event, uh, which is much later than the February slash March event that people are used to. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously due to COVID, uh, February, March was not a, a potential opportunity by any means. And a lot of vendors have already pulled out of a physical presence out of the event in Barcelona. Um, And honestly, I think that at this point, uh, it's too little too late uh, for GSMA. And I think that they are doing uh, more harm than good by trying to um, push people to attend in present. Uh, I think if you look at the current situation with the AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson vaccines, uh, there simply are not enough people who are getting enough shots in the arm. Uh, that I believe that we will be in a place that is, uh, I think, safe for attendees uh, and the spread of COVID itself um, in in June. So I think mm-hmm. uh, that the GSMA is is obviously, you know, it's their biggest event of the year. Uh, you know, they have a lot of riding on it, but I think it's, it would be much better for them to just push to next year and really plan for that because I don't think are going to see remotely enough people that are vaccinated and, you know, rapid tests are not accurate enough to really, I think, be considered a safe, um, uh, I don't know, a safe, safe precaution uh, yeah. to keep a, an event of that size safe. And yes, they want to have reduced capacity, but people are still not going to wear masks everywhere and people are still not going to socially distance. So uh, I think vaccines are going to have to be the number one precaution. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I read into the announcement as well. And I was left with, you know, feeling a little disconcerted about how they stated that, you know, folks that are traveling from outside of the European Union, um, depending on what country they're coming from, there could be certain caveats. So there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, you know, for myself personally, like I would love to go, um, you know, I'm in the process of getting my vaccine. But um, my concern would be, you know, if, if I land in Barcelona um, and I'm told just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the policy has changed for the U.S. and I've got to go self-quarantine for 14 days. I mean, so what's the point? So um, they are promoting the event as hybrid. Um, I I would expect that they'll probably get some um, attendees, you know, within the European Union. But honestly, I agree with you. I mean, it's just, you know, when they reset the date from the traditional late February date to June, um, that was a smart move on their part at the time. But in hindsight, um, they should have probably pushed it, you know, to the fall at a minimum yeah. um, to get, you know, to get sort of more momentum behind vaccines. And so um, I don't think they're going to end up canceling the event because, you know, they've got too much invested in it. 
but I think it's gonna, they're gonna have to flip it to, uh, to a higher emphasis on, on hybrid and virtual. So yeah. um, we'll, keep, we'll keep our eyes and, you know, on, on it and our ears open and report back on a future podcast once things uh, develop there. But let me move to my second topic this week. I attended Light Reading's Open RAN World Digital Conference. And, you know, everyone's talking about Open RAN these days. And I came away from, it was a two-day conference. It was, it, it skipped a day. So it was, it was on April 6th, and then it skipped a day, and it was on April 8th. Um, but nothing really earth-shattering for me. I mean, um, you know, Cisco, um, you know, all the major infrastructure providers, you know, uh, Keysight Technologies as well that does test and measurement and deployment for, um, for 5G networks. They all spoke to the integration challenges and um, the need for you know standardization and that sort of thing you know to simplify the deployment. Uh, Dell Technologies was involved as well. So, if you're interested in you know learning some more depth on on my insights from the conference, hit my Twitter feed at Willtown Tech, and I did some live tweeting during the uh, the two days of the event. I saw but, that. Yeah, but at a but at a high level, um, you know, it's still a work in progress, and you know it's. Yes, it's going to be very capex uh, and potentially opex disruptive for for carriers. Yes, I think it's going to help you know carriers such as Verizon that spent a ton of money on Spectrum to balance um, um, their expenditure and getting their 5G networks rolled out. But uh, but again, you know it's still you know it's still it's still going to be a challenge. So what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think we're still in the early phases of Open RAN, and I think. Um, there's a lot to figure out, but I think there's a lot of companies that are very invested in it um, being a success. Um, so I think it's just going to take more um, standardization and cooperation uh, and added investment from all players to make it possible. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's move to your second topic this week. And Samsung launched some new uh, lower price pointed 5G phones, right? Yeah. So some of these phones have already launched previously, but this was the first time they launched in the U.S., um, because the U.S. has not traditionally been a market where Samsung has really competed uh, across the entire spectrum. Um, and, and, and frankly, Samsung hasn't really been a company that um, has had uh, a full spectrum of devices ranging from entry level all the way to top tier. There were years when they had some in, you know, different holes. But now, uh, because Samsung is so large and, and, and they see the, the, the 5G market as an opportunity at every price point. They now have 5G phones at every price point. And in the US, they launched the A52, A42, and A32 5G, all three are 5G phones. And A32 is the entry level at 279, which is the lowest price Samsung has ever priced a 5G phone and is one of the lowest priced 5G phones in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting about that is that is the phone that T-Mobile that is using to make their 5G phone free. Uh, yeah, with yeah. A, a plan. So it's a very interesting timing. Obviously, they, they timed it with T-Mobile's uh, announcement. And I mm -hmm. believe uh, T-Mobile will be the exclusive uh, seller at this point of that device. So T-Mobile yeah, is yeah. going to be one of the places where if you want to get into 5G at a very low cost, uh, it's probably going to be the place where you start. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, I think Samsung has really shown that they've, they're able to take their really high-end camera technologies and 5G capabilities and bring them down to a more affordable level. And part of that is also because they're partnering with Qualcomm and MediaTek mm -hmm. to get really competitive pricing on, on, on chipsets to uh, deliver a, a good device at a great cost. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And I think this is an opportunity for um, Samsung to take some share in the Android market. You know, you're, you're the expert on the end devices, but it's no secret that LG exited um, their smartphone <laughs> business, right? So yes. um, I, I would expect that this is an opportunity for Samsung to take share. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think the, the big winners are going to be the Samsungs, the OnePluses, Mm -hmm. um, and I think even uh, some other players in the space, but really it's going to be um, the, 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 the tier two and the tier ones that are going to take most of this share. I could yeah, see Nokia yeah. taking some share, but uh, they, they've lost a lot of their, uh, well, HMD Global with Nokia brand, right. but um, I think they've lost some of their, their brand recognition. You know, a lot of uh, Zoomers don't really know the Nokia brand like, like the boomers and the, and the millennials remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cool. Well, let's move to my third and final topic this week. And um, I tell you what, man, Verizon's been on a tear with, you know, pushing um, their edge strategy. And so it seems like over the last 90 days, there, there's been almost an announcement every week about what they're doing. And so this week they announced a, a, a partnership with Amazon Web Services to uh, deploy, you know, private mobile edge computing. And to some people, this may not sound new with Verizon. Um, last year, I think it was in the fall, Verizon had announced a similar partnership with Microsoft Azure. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I haven't seen a lot materialize since that announcement with Azure. And certainly from my perspective, I follow all three of them, the public cloud providers and what they're doing with Telco Cloud. And, and clearly AWS is in the pole position here. What, what I find compelling about this announcement is that um, they're, they're, they're also, you know, knitting in their ecosystem to really drive some compelling monetization opportunities for operators. And um, in this announcement, they spoke to a relationship with a company that provides a location-based service um, application for, for venue management. And that's going to be huge as, um, as we, you know, again, we put COVID in the rearview mirror and you know, concerts start back up. Um, it's no secret, Major League Baseball is, is, is open and, and I, I can't wait to go see an Astros game in Houston later this year. And so I, I'm just struck with, you know, it seems like you know, AWS continues to sort of fine tune their, um, their deployment strategy and Wavelength and, and Outposts have been um, you know, great platforms for them to leverage. And, and so Verizon, again, you know, I believe um, when compared to, to T-Mobile and to AT&T, um, they're, they're, they're out marketing their competitors with respect to uh, met capabilities. I mean, I know for a fact that AT&T has those capabilities. They've been focused there for several years or two to three years, but probably haven't done as good a job promoting that capability. So, but I think that that should change um, over time. So. Any, any additional insights from your perspective? No, I, I think I agree with you on that. Verizon has done a really good job of communicating their lead on edge compute uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to enterprise applications. And I think um, a big part of that is they are recognizing that a lot of enterprises are going to, un, they're going to demand edge compute um, availability if they want to roll out you know, these low latency 5G applications. And that's going to be the first barrier that a lot of their customers are going to want to overcome. And if Verizon has already made it clear that they've overcome that barrier 
you know, with this aggressive marketing campaign, um, I think that they have put themselves in an advantageous position, even though you and I both agree that there's still a lot of room to be left on Verizon's actual 5G network. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I spoke with Matt Campco at SDX Central and he published an article this week that included some of my insights. And, um, and that's, and that's what I spoke to. It's like, you know, I believe Verizon's making this, this investment as a long-term advantage. Um, I also think that, um, you know, there are a lot of enterprises that understand what MEC is, but there, there are a lot that don't. And quite simply, the way that I like to state it when people ask me is that, that edge provides a supercharge effect for, for 5G services. You mentioned latency, um, but by putting, you know, compute and storage resources at the point of data creation, you're just going to sort of supercharge, you know, those use cases and those applications. And it's clear that um, that's going to provide a competitive advantage to an operator to monetize things. So um, we'll definitely keep our eyes and ears open on this. Um, I expect that, you know, we'll see T-Mobile and AT&T respond as well. Um, we, we know T-Mobile does a great job, you know, you know, marketing their consumer disruptive, you know, services and, and plans and that sort of thing. And, and I think from an enterprise perspective, you know, Verizon's done a really good job, but I think, um, I think that'll, that'll sort of, that gap will, will narrow and close over time, but it'll be interesting to see. So, but let's move to your third and final topic this week. And um, you want to talk about AT&T and the city of Pittsburgh? Yeah. So this is something that I've been thinking for a while might be an issue uh, when it comes to densifying 5G networks. Um, And it's something that I think the FCC anticipated with their 2018 ruling with their small cell order, which I think a lot of uh, municipalities thought was a bit of government overreach. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are some both sides to uh, the small cell issue, um, but ultimately the FCC kind of set a, um, a requirement that there was a 90 day shot clock for municipalities to either approve or deny applications for small cells mm-hmm. and set limits on the cost of these fees when they charge uh, an operator like an AT&T. And AT&T filed a complaint in uh, US District Court for the Western District of Pennsylvania saying that the um, Pittsburgh was charging them $850 in annual fees um, and was not hitting its shot clock of 90 days. So, um, you know, this is is a, a problem because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of delays that can that can slow down the rollout of a network and limiting permitting and and drawing out permit price per, permit times and prices uh, is is a big impedance. So I understand why the FCC did it, um, yeah. and there needs to be a standardized process. But um, it seems like uh, there's still a lot of opportunities for. Um, give and take, but I do think that ultimately there needs to be um, an understanding that for, for, for the infrastructure of our country to move forward, we need to make these investments and make yeah. them quick and not, and let them, you know, well, flounder. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. And like, and, and stop the nickel and dime. Right. Um, and, you know, we have this challenge in Austin, Texas, where I live um, and it's, you know, the city council just, you know, it, and it's, it's been more of aesthetics and, and, you know, unwarranted concerns on, you know, health and, and that sort of thing with small cell densification. But, um, you know, I, 
I, I expect that, you know, I mean, AT&T, I mean, all the operators are, are, are likely struggling with, you know, these, these local municipalities that don't understand kind of the ins and outs of it. And to your point, the benefit to a city like uh, Pittsburgh or like Austin or like San Diego where you live is that you can deploy this stuff out faster. You can create disruptive oh, yeah. services and that's going to drive economic um, impact. And I'll, so I'll be yeah. the first one to say San Diego does not have this problem. Yeah. Um, everywhere I go, there are small cells perched on top of light poles. Yeah. There's small cells all over the place. Yeah. That said, Qualcomm is also here. So I have a feeling there's a lot more of an understanding yeah. of wireless technologies and what they sure. can bring as a benefit to the city. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I think that's a problem that the industry has to solve is is education and um, combating a lot of misinformation around 5G. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think you and I do our part, you know, trying to educate our viewership as well and our listenership as well. So, hey, buddy, it was another great podcast. Thanks for hanging in there with me with my allergies. But why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us with insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.